Hey everyone, this is Evan with the Scribe Power Podcast. Going to do a quick intro before the interview that we have. Uh, really excited for this. This is Andy from Precision Hydration. This is going to be part one of a two-part series talking about uh, some environmental effects. Andy is going to talk all about what it means to sweat, what it means to hydrate when you're actually doing a lot of running and uh, other different activities uh, you know, that make you sweat during hot conditions. We're going to talk in part two about some very uh, specific things that Stride can help you with in terms of the new Stride and the environmental sensors that are on it and how we can help you in terms of power targets and how to train in different types of climates and environments. But this is going to be part one uh, precision hydration, Andy, they were so kind to provide a discount code if you are interested uh, to try precision hydration. You can go to precisionhydration.com. You just need to enter the code STRIDE20, so S-T-R-Y-D-2-0 at checkout, and you can use that for 20 Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another order. episode of the Stride Power uh, Podcast. Valid I'm here with bit. Andy from So if you're really interested in that, Andy, uh, after hearing that? the conversation, please yeah, go good, to precisionhydration.com. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for that. joining us. I'm uh, super now excited to talk about this uh, because so it's getting, getting very warm. I'm sweating a lot, and I need to know more information about what's going on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your own background, your own kind of running history. We're talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but uh, you have a very impressive running resume um, as well as just general athletics resume. Yeah, I got, I got into endurance sports at quite a young age in, in my early teens, I guess. And I, I kind of did a bit of cross country running at school mm-hmm. and I wasn't, I wasn't one of, one of the best athletes at it, but I don't know, I, I enjoyed it and progressed with it. And, and, no, long story short, that kind of turned into getting into triathlon in when triathlon was still quite a small sport. And it was it was mainly in my journey through triathlon that I got interested in hydration because mm-hmm. as you as you kind of grow up in triathlon, you focus or certainly did back in those days on the Hawaii Ironman. And I always mm-hmm. wanted to go there. And inevitably you end up doing some longer races in hotter climates. And I just found this trend with my own racing that as I got deeper into it, whenever it was very hot or very humid and whenever I was racing long, my my performances would suck compared with how they would in cooler conditions mm-hmm. and 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 again long story short that that was worked out through through my own trial and error and through working with a friend of mine who's a medic right i have a high sweat rate and i have a very high salt loss in my sweat and that this the, that i was basically not hydrating in a very sensible manner i was probably in my case overdoing the fluids and underdoing the electrolytes and mm-hmm. that was that was that was knocking me out in two ways one was in a, in a heavy training load in a given week, I was, I was basically depleting myself of, of minerals and salts because I was not replacing them on a day-to-day basis and gradually stepwise depleting. And then, this, and then more acutely in, in long races like half Ironmans and Ironman races, which are going to last like four to you know, nine hours or whatever, right. I, was, I, was, I was really suffering on the day as well. Mm-hmm. So it was... The, the the company precision hydration basically i guess came out of those struggles because what i learned i then started to apply with other athletes and it mm-hmm. and it went from there i think a lot of people can resonate with that a lot of people can identify with that because there's not many people i know that go out there you know at different times of the year and say i have no problem with hydrating i have no problem with replenishing i have no problem with sweating um and you know fuel, fueling myself during a run or after a run uh, can you tell us a little bit more about 
precision hydration, and then we'll we'll get into different sort of strategies and kind of what you guys do and your expertise, but a little bit more about precision hydration in general. Yeah, so what, what we started off doing, I, as I said, I had all these problems with hydration in long races. Right. And, and a, f- a friend of mine who was a medic said, look, we should get your sweat tested because it might be that you're, we can tell you sweat a lot because you can just look at you and you're right. soaked the whole time. So right. you're obviously sweating a lot, but you might be losing a lot of salt as well. And, and so I went to a, a hospital and had a test, which they tip, which is typically done on people for the diagnosis of cystic fibrosis mm-hmm. and, and people with CF, they, one of the key things that they exhibit is high salt loss in their sweat. And it's how it's often identified in children and babies. And we did this test and sure enough, my, my sweat sodium score to get technical was around you know, 80 something millimoles per liter, which is in milligrams would be over 1800 milligrams per liter, heading for two grams of sodium for every liter that I sweat. Mm-hmm. Now, some people on the flip side lose only 200 milligrams for every liter they sweat. The, the average is around 900 to 1,000. So I'm kind of almost double the, the normal guy and mm-hmm. 10 times more than the lowest guy in terms mm-hmm. of salt loss. Mm-hmm. So very quickly, my, my friend who was a doctor explained that what this does, this, this has lots of knock-on repercussions because if you're drinking a drink when you're exercising that is significantly less salty than that, you are diluting your body. And, and over an hour or two or three even, maybe that doesn't matter too much because you replenish some, you know, and then you have a meal afterwards and you replenish the rest and all is good. But if you get to a point where you've, re, where you've depleted yourself either day to day or in, mm-hmm. an, in one session where you don't then fully get it back, your blood volume starts to decrease. Mm-hmm. And as an athlete, you know, decreasing blood volume leads to compromised performance. It can make you feel pretty lousy. And, and that, was, that was basically what was happening to me. So we corrected that with, with a more aggressive electrolyte intake during races. And for me, it was like someone had flicked a light on it. It was just night and day. You know, mm-hmm. the, the difference it made to my personal performance was huge. I was always a cramper i had to kind of accept at one point that i would cramp in every race i did almost and this made that problem if not completely go away much more manageable Mm -hmm. it meant that i could just keep pushing hard it meant that i could train put a hard block of training together again so for me i was a relatively extreme case but it highlighted to me that okay if i'm a bit of bit of an outlier on one end the there's not advice and there's not places for athletes to go or a a resource for athletes to tap into here to figure out what they need as an individual. Right. So, so precision hydration actually started out as a kind of a consultancy type business where we were sweat testing athletes Mm -hmm. and then helping them to define strategies that that might work for them. Mm -hmm. Eventually it then led to the fact that actually sports drinks and sports nutrition products don't really cater for anything other than the middle of the, the bell curve of, of people so we then started to produce a range of multiple strength electrolyte products mm-hmm. to to better cater for individual needs and that's that's kind of where we're at now mm-hmm. is is helping people to understand their physiology their the requirements of their sport and then matching a an appropriate hydration strategy off the back of that Mm-hmm. So let's say I'm somebody that is training for a 5k road race during yeah. the summer. I've, you know, started picking up running. I run a couple times a week. I do, you know, maybe one long run, one workout, but I'm aiming for a race. I'm still training in the summer versus somebody, let's say I'm somebody that's, uh, you know, doing my first half Ironman. And I'm doing significantly more training. How do hydration strategies differ? One for training 
and then two for actually on race day in terms of you know specific sort of uh, you know supplementation or specific hydration strategies for two athletes that might be the same you know sweat rate they might sweat out you know the same yeah. uh, but you're aiming for two different styles of events yeah, yeah I, the there's going to be a huge difference between those two cases the mm-hmm. Your your example of the guy or the girl who's training for a 5K, who's obviously recreational athlete doing a couple of training sessions plus a long run a week. Essentially, I think the need for them to pay any really special attention to their hydration is mm-hmm. is is not existent. You know, they they need to hydrate sensibly. They need to listen to their body. Drink they, maybe if it's very hot where they're training, and in, on the longer runs they might drink a little bit more water before or after, and and maybe a little bit of salt on their food if they feel that that helps them absorb and retain it. Yeah. But other than that, they they're gonna their body is gonna have the bandwidth within it to to cope with the demands of what they're doing without any any sort of special tinkering. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the the problem of the perception of the, the sports drink industry. And if you like, a lot of the sports. Um, the sports marketing industry in general is that you know there's not a lot of differentiation differentiation played to those type of people versus more um, athletes that are doing much higher training volume or longer races mm-hmm. because the you know we all know you can or, or we should know that you can do that kind of thing with very little special attention to detail when you start you know putting in the hours building up to a half ironman you're doing training on every day or maybe mm-hmm. even some double session days and things like that if you are someone training in a warm environment at altitude in the humidity or you just have a high sweat rate that's where i think more proactive and strategic approach to, to some of what you're drinking before during and after sessions and certainly in races is going to help and and really it's it's accepting that there is not a single piece of advice you could give those two people that would fit with them both you know you have to look at them as individuals right yeah totally um let's say then i'm i I, i'm the second case person i'm doing a long extended training sessions i'm out there um you know me personally i'm not ever on a bike because i'm not a triathlete i only bike to work and it takes me like 12 minutes um but like let's say i'm out there on the bike for a long time or I'm, i'm doing these long runs uh, but I want to know specific strategies for a before, during, and after in terms of hydration. Can you give a little bit more insight about how um, those strategies might differ for somebody doing a lot of training or some long extended training? Yeah, I think I think the key thing is when you're doing a lot of training, and that's what we might define as being you know more than an hour or so a day on average and with yeah. some longer sessions of three, four hours you 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 can run into a problem in those where the the amount of fluid and salt that you can lose cumulatively starts to exceed what you would get in via just a normal a normal diet and that's where supplementation helps because sometimes either before during or after or all three if it's a particularly arduous session you you can benefit from basically drinking something which has a reasonable level of salt in it which helps you to retain and absorb more of the fluid because your blood ultimately your the pool of, of fluid in your body that gets exhausted most readily when you when you're sweating is your blood your your blood plasma is what is what gets filtered into the sweat glands and onto the skin and, mm-hmm. and so your blood volume drops if we can replace that with with some saltier water rather than you know i.e a, a strong sort of electrolyte sports drink rather than just regular water you'll absorb a little bit more it will if you're drinking it while you're sweating you'll replace 
what you're losing more accurately. And then if there's the deficit to replenish when you finish, you'll also replenish it more quickly. And, and that ultimately leads to either better performance or better recovery or both. If you, if you get it quite, if you get it quite close to, to what mm-hmm. you need. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain something to me? The concept of electrolytes. So people here, you know, it's, it's not a buzzword because it's a, it's a concept, it's a thing. Uh, but people might be more familiar with uh, a very big, you know, sports drink company, something like a Gatorade or a Powerade or something like that. And they just talk all the time about electrolytes, but people don't actually know what electrolytes are and how they work in your body. Can you give us a little bit um, of a background and sort of a definition of what electrolytes actually are? Yeah, very. It's a very good point because the word gets sort of thrown around and used interchangeably with other phrases, and, mm-hmm. and it can get really confusing. So electrolytes, most of the fluid in your, well, all of the fluid in your body contains electrolytes. And electrolytes are charged ions that that exert. You know, for instance, they they have, they they will exert um, electrical potential across membranes or assist in cellular communication so one of the biggest factors when we talk about fluid balance is that you've got intracellular fluid in the body where where you've got um where the predominant electrolyte is potassium and in the extracellular fluid which is around the cells you've got sodium Mm -hmm. and the difference in the electrical potential between the, the the potassium and sodium ions helps to maintain the integrity of cells it 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 supports cellular communication, nerve transmission, muscular contraction, all of those type of things. So when, when we're looking at fluid balance in particular, people get quite interested in you know, sodium and potassium. Mm-hmm. But when we drill it down into the, the real specifics of, of sweat and exercise, sodium is the most important electrolyte by a long, long way mm-hmm. because it's the one you lose the most of in your sweat. Mm-hmm. So because sweat is drawn from extracellular fluid, extracellular fluid is mostly composed of sodium from an electrolyte point of view. That mm-hmm. is basically the, the key one that matters. We lose mm-hmm. teeny amounts of potassium, calcium, magnesium, and other minor electrolytes in your sweat, but sodium we can lose really significant amounts. Right. And so when you know, when, when people finish a, a long run in the summer and they've just been drinking water, they might notice that they have some salt buildup on their face or on their clothes. Um, what's the difference between, you know, me, for example, yeah, my hat will kind of have these, these rings of salt on them and my, you know, my cheeks will have like little flakes of white on them sometimes during the summer. But some of my other friends that I'm running with, they, you know, they look like they're maybe damp a little bit, but they're, they're not super salty. What's the difference going on there? That's, that's where it comes down to the difference in, in either sweat rate or sweat composition or both. And I'm like you, I'm the guy with salt marks on my skin. And if it's on my bike, it's on the helmet straps. Mm-hmm. If it's running, it might be on a cap. I've got, I've got a couple of um, running trucker caps that have got mm-hmm. like a real actual salt crust. <laughs> on if you go running somewhere hot and dry, like in Arizona or whatever, right. You, such evaporation and mm-hmm. and that can be a clue actually as to whether you're someone who loses a bit more sodium a bit more salt than mm-hmm. others if you, if you regularly see that and we we see people with high sweat rates that have low salt concentration but they can still lose quite a lot of salt over many hours because of the high sweat rate right but we also see people like myself with high sweat rates and sweat high sweat sodium concentrations and we're the ones in particular who seem to benefit most from 
being more attentive to supplementation because I think if you if your sweat and salt losses are lower ultimately you have a bit more wiggle room before you start to hit problems right so we've we've sweat tested um an Ironman triathlete a very well-known athlete actually based out of Boulder where you guys are mm -hmm. and who's done really well at the world championships and who told me when they did the test they were quite skeptical you know I've well I don't I don't actually take many electrolytes Andy and I, I don't tell my athletes so I don't I just don't think I think it's all a bit of hype you know mm -hmm. we sure enough tested this person very low sweat rate relatively for an elite athlete and they also had a very low sodium content in their sweat so what they were telling me was obviously you know kind of based on their personal experience they've not found that they need to supplement a ton of electrolytes with their hydration mm -hmm. and the, the reality is they've probably found that to be the right strategy for them because they weren't losing a lot right. but what we we're trying to then talk to them about was actually okay well this is this is great advice for you but you do have to be a little bit careful about them projecting that advice onto others because if I followed that advice, which is what I did earlier on in my career, it was pretty catastrophic. Mm -hmm. And and therefore having an appreciation that it's actually worth investigating this individual variance is mm -hmm. and, and, and I really as I think that that is also one of the biggest things that makes this topic quite polarized and quite quite there's a lot of arguments in hydration science. You know, there's different factions who who argue oh, electrolytes, everyone, you know, you the sports drink companies, oh, you need to take tons of them. And then you've got Professor Tim Noakes who, and from South Africa and people like that who are like, you don't need to take any. And for me, that those having those two opposing points, it's rather than treating it as a, a binary, do you, don't you, mm -hmm. it's do you as an individual, might mm -hmm. you as an individual benefit? Right. So looking for clues, you know, on, on, we always say to people, we have a questionnaire on our website where mm -hmm. People can't go and have a full sweat test, you know, because mm -hmm. it's time consuming and they, they maybe haven't got access to a place where they can do it yet. You can do a questionnaire on our website, which spits out a recommendation that says, in the end, mm, Evan, it does sound like you might be a slightly saltier guy. Maybe try this. Or right. it might say, actually, you know, Josh, you're not. And therefore, probably you're going to do fine with a, you know, with little to no supplementation. Because, right. because ultimately, like anything to do with training and physiology, where where we get to with this is there's quite a lot of trial and error involved in getting a hydration strategy right the same mm -hmm. as there's quite a lot of trial and error in finessing your training program mm -hmm. or finessing your shoe choice or whatever it is right you have to you have to but, but you can shortcut that trial and error by getting yourself in the right zone for where you start so i always think back in my own experience and think i was probably taking about the, the general guidance, if you read it, and it depends who you read and what you read, but the general guidance for endurance athletes might be to take, you know, four, four or 500 milligrams of sodium per hour during a long, hot endurance event mm -hmm. to supplement what you need. Well, I found that after a lot of trial and error, I topped out taking nearly 1500 milligrams an hour, you know, during some longer, hotter events. But that was what I needed. And that made a big difference to me. Right. Um, but that was so far away from the normal advice that I was hesitant to just to do that because it seemed ridiculous to me yeah. at that point that I might need three times more than textbooks would tell you. Right. So I think all these mixed messages about you need none, you need loads, maybe you only need this amount. People then just kind of throw their arms up and go, oh, I don't know. And they just crack on and, you know, 
Right. You just keep doing what you're doing. Doing doing what they're doing and putting up with some, some, you know, putting up with the consequences. Right. Um, I I think it's super interesting. You talk about in the past, uh, you know, catastrophic uh, performances where, you know, you're, you're out in your own personal experience and you're trying to do this event or this training session and you're just not, you know, nailing down your strategy as much. What could go wrong uh, and people might identify with this, people might relate, uh, but what are some of the you know, symptoms or things that actually happen during a training session or a race that might clue somebody in that they should potentially look a little bit closer into that you know, kind of personalized strategy? Yeah, I think first off, visual signs rather than performance signs, you've already highlighted a couple of them, but they're worth saying again, you know, if you can visibly see salt crusts on your skin and clothing when you finish longer, hotter training sessions that can be an indicator that through a combination of sweat rate and sweat sodium loss you are losing a reasonable amount because it's visual and visible mm-hmm. um, on top of that muscle cramping is a is a common phenomenon that's associated with high levels of salt loss mm-hmm. and there's probably there's there's a whole you know we could debate for many hours the kind of the muscle cramping that's another one where there's not a lot of agreement but mm-hmm. we see anecdotally and and I think there is definitely a, a strong correlation with people who lose a lot of salt and the, the increased potential of muscle cramping because not because we've, we can comment specifically on the mechanism that causes that because that is not proven or not even theoretically proven at the mm-hmm. moment. But in the real world, there's a lot of athletes that basically cramp if they don't get enough salt and their cramping goes away if they get enough salt. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a, a pretty you know direct anecdotal line there for me so so often cramping especially in the heat would be would be something to look at feeling lightheaded is another one because especially i used to find this if you sit down or lie down after a tough training session stand up quickly and get that dizziness that kind Mm -hmm. of postural low blood pressure that can be because your blood volume is compromised and, and sometimes that is worse with people who have high electrolyte losses because you're losing proportionally more Mm -hmm. feeling basically as well just just kind of feeling crappy in the heat and just if you if you always find that especially during prolonged weeks in the heat or prolonged sessions in the heat your performance fades more than others Mm -hmm. then that could be a sign another one is craving salty foods if you're someone Mm -hmm. who likes adding salt to your food and especially when you're training hard that's a big one Mm -hmm. there's a fascinating study that was done with athletes where they they made them exercise they made people exercise and they me- they'd previously measured their rates of salt loss and sweat loss they made them exercise to elicit a reasonable level of sweat and salt loss and varied between people and then they gave them bowls of soup to eat after training and they said which is your favorite one because you can you can taste them and you, you can have your favorite one mm-hmm. without fail people chose the saltier ones if they'd lost more salt in their hmm. sweat subconsciously so they weren't told what the difference was between these things right. but salt composition was the only variant and they they naturally gravitated towards the saltier soups mm-hmm. which just kind of tells you you know that the body is actually really clever if you if you leave it if you let it do and I, and and that that is where i think we also these days run into problems because people overthink this stuff mm-hmm. Time. Sometimes it's good to let your, and that's where I agree with the drink to thirst 
camp is actually yeah we need to become instinctive as athletes we need mm-hmm. to learn to listen to our bodies but we don't we don't need to be dogmatic about it we don't need mm-hmm. to just drink water or just drink electrolytes we need to let our taste buds a little bit and our experience tell us layered on top of maybe a bit of scientific investigation into okay what's my sweat rate like what's my salt loss like the more you information you build up over time you become able to sort of tweak these dials mm-hmm. and tune in the, the optimum for you right what if i'm either somebody that trains indoors all the time so i don't have to deal with a, a, a super hot uh, as humid climate or i'm somebody that trains in the winter too what are sort of strategies that i might be able to use if i'm not you know losing five percent of my body weight in a in a normal run uh, but how do i take but but i also know that you know maybe i do sweat a lot when I go outside in these super hot environments, but it makes me uncomfortable to go out and you know, just be completely drenched. What are some things that I can incorporate if I'm you know, training in a slightly cooler environment? Uh, what sort of hydration uh, or you know, supplementation or refueling strategies can I use in that sort of case? I, I often say to people who are, who are training through the, you know, the winter rather than the summer where the sweat losses are going to be higher, that essentially it's it's not a bad thing to, to have less of a plan in those conditions and listen to your body more so mm-hmm. you can probably get away with having fluids available be it water or sports drinks or whatever mm-hmm. and and topping up as you feel you need to because in those scenarios the chances of a catastrophic sort of hydration fail are much much reduced and mm-hmm. and also the knock-on effects of becoming dehydrated day after day are far less so mm-hmm. you're much less likely to run into a problem because you're you're if you get a bit thirsty you know after training sessions you will naturally drink more mm-hmm. so you naturally correct to meet those needs it's only when those needs start to become ex- extraordinary right. that i think we need to take more extraordinary steps on on the flip side i'd say if you are training indoors regularly it is it can be surprising how much you do sweat because mm-hmm. of the lack of airflow and and so maybe it's not a bad idea to use some electrolyte drinks as a backup and make sure you're you're topping up especially mm-hmm. if you are a heavy sweater generally mm-hmm. but the the bottom line is i think in conditions where you sweat less you have far far more margin for error and or far more margin for just going with the flow than you do when it's super hot and humid and you're going for a long time so that's that's where you know we're in i'm i'm in the uk i'm from the uk we would we would typically find athletes struggle a lot the first time they go and do kona or the first time mm-hmm. they go and do because they just have if you've not traveled a lot and raced a lot in hot climates you have no conception about just how much those fluid requirements can go up because mm-hmm. we might be talking about drinking three times more in kona than you are Right. on a cool day in the uk and that's a big mind shift change and it can catch you out because mm-hmm. ultimately if you're racing for nine hours out in kona and you don't hydrate properly in the first four to five hours you may well reach the end of the cliff and there's no coming back you know right um so right that, that totally um two more questions uh first being you, this is actually great because you just mentioned it uh, I'm an athlete that is traveling for a race and I don't want to mess up my nutrition. This means, you know, the meals that I'm eating, but also it means the hydration because chances are I'm flying on an airplane uh, for a longer period of time or I'm in a new environment. I don't want to, you know, be out of my element. What are some strategies I can use while traveling to make sure I stay on top of a specific hydration or, you know, fueling schedule? Yeah, I think 
hydration when you're traveling, especially long haul flying is quite challenging because it's pretty dry. We all, we all tend to get a bit more dehydrated. It is a bit like going to altitude. You lose a lot more through respiration in the dry air so doing all the sensible stuff like you know minimizing you know going rather than drinking loads of coffee or going for the free alcohol on the plane you know try and try and be good and have a little bit more water maybe have some electrolyte drinks with you on the plane to help you absorb and and rehydrate more a lot of the pro athletes that we work with who who play in maybe things like the nfl or the nba Mm -hmm. when they're flying across the country a lot the teams will often give them electrolyte tablets to have in their water on the plane as much as a reminder and a, a sort of emphasis to drink a bit more right. be, to, to help them to help them top up and stay on top of it. So I think that can be a good strategy. When, when you go to a hot climate, though, if you travel from somewhere cooler to somewhere hot, although you also do need to increase your fluid intake when you get there, I would also say to athletes, be very mindful of over-drinking. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the thought is, right, well, I need to drink more. And I know that the first time I went to Kona, I definitely did this. I just started pounding loads more water in the days. And you can actually cause yourself a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And we've written some... We've written some a number of articles and blogs about that about you know the problem with athletes over hydrating because arguably that's a, as big if not a bigger problem than people not drinking enough right so, so it's like okay we might need to dial up the fluid consumption but let's not go crazy because mm-hmm. if you just drink loads more you you wash the the electrolytes the sodium predominantly out of your body and you start on the back foot so you mm-hmm. start a little bit hyponatremic and, and that can be an issue right um all right Last question. I'm somebody that's super interested in finding out more all about what you're talking about. Where can I go for more information about all the stuff we've talked about and to figure out a little bit more uh, about myself as a, you know, maybe I'm a heavy sweater, maybe I'm not a heavy sweater. Where can I figure out more information about this? Well, the, our, our website is just easy. It's precisionhydration.com. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's an online sweat test on there, which is free, which you can plug in your sporting credentials and your information into, and it will spit out a pretty decent personalized recommendation, and that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. I'd say if you're really serious and you want to get a proper sweat test done, so that's where we take a sweat sample from you at rest, and we mm-hmm. analyze the sodium composition and add that in with some other questionnaire-based data, you can do that at lots of different locations now. They're on our, they are on our website, or you can fill out a form with your address and it will tell you the nearest place to go but but you can also you can also drop us an email to hello at precisionhydration.com we have a team of a small team of sort of sports scientists who who are you know here to answer questions on that type of thing because as as i said you know maybe earlier on although we are a kind of we people see us now we have a product line so we be we kind of become a product business in some people's eyes we don't see ourselves like that we're a mm-hmm. we're a athlete consultancy business mm-hmm. and so we're very happy to to, to to sort of point people in the right direction and you know for them to send and ask us questions we're mm-hmm. also on all the usual social medias where you can dm us or or look at our articles and that kind of thing and we, we'd love to hear from people so that that would be a good place to start i think awesome um well yeah everybody that's listening i'm sure will will, will check it out a little bit more because i'm 100% sure that if I was listening to this myself, I'd say I identify with one of those cases we were talking about for sure. I need to empower myself with a little bit more knowledge. So um, cool. I want to thank you again for taking the time to do this. Uh, I think it's super important for this time of year, specifically uh, in the Northern Hemisphere when you know things get very, very warm. It's been yeah. like 90 degrees Fahrenheit the past 
two weeks or something here in Colorado. So it's been very warm. But um, do you have any other points or any other uh, topics you want to leave people with before we wrap this up? No, I, I, other than just to say, I think, you know, basically the advice, the the generic advice, if there is such a thing for me, is like, don't listen to the generic advice. Treat <laughs> hydration as a as a, a very individual thing. Mm-hmm. Be prepared to go through some trial and error yourself. Mm-hmm. Experiment a little bit with you know the amount of fluid, the amount of salt you're taking in, and and if you do that, and if you trial and error and iterate, you'll you'll figure out you know little things that that help you. And and our website is there with some good resources to just to just guide you in that journey. So awesome. Yeah, have a look, give it a go. Awesome, uh, Andy. Thanks so much. Uh, I look forward. Uh, for people to be able to listen to this and get a little bit more information. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Bye.